from the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia, this is Religion for Life. My name is John Shuck. My guest is Saloma Miller Furlong. Uh, she's the author of Bonnet Strings, an Amish woman's ties to two worlds, uh, which that book was released in February 2014. And she is also author of Why I Left the Amish, uh, published in 2011. Her story was featured on two PBS documentaries that were broadcast on the program American Experience. The titles of those documentaries are The Amish, that was released in 2011, and The Amish Shunned, released in 2014. Her story offers a glimpse into the Amish world, but also a glimpse into the personal struggle for autonomy and authenticity. She is speaking with me via Skype from her home in Massachusetts. Welcome, Saloma, to Religion for Life. Thank you. It is very uh, good to be here. I much enjoyed Bonnet Strings. I just finished it. It's a fast, engaging read. Uh, and now I want to go back and read your first book, Why I Left the Amish. Uh, introduce us uh, to your story. Uh, tell us a little bit about these two books and how they relate to each other. Well, the first book, Why I Left the Amish, is about uh, my, young, uh, uh, my childhood and young adulthood in an Amish community. And it tells it from the vantage point of being at my first semester at Smith College as an adult student in my 40s. And I am called back to the horse and buggy world that I had left 24 years before that when my father died. I uh, went uh, to his funeral from uh, Massachusetts. And in a matter of 36 hours, I went from Smith College campus to my horse and buggy world, and back to Smith College again. And it was a, a time of a lot of memory recall and feelings and, uh, and all kinds of mixed feelings about my, my original community. Because while I was back there, I experienced support from my original community members in ways that I really did not expect. And so as I'm going, traveling back to Ohio and then back to Massachusetts, I am thinking about all those things, mulling over those, those memories of my childhood. Um, and that is how I actually tell the story. The, the um, book takes you to the point when I left the Amish the first time when I'm 20 years old. I grew up in a dysfunctional family and my father was violent because he was mentally ill. And I reached the point of basically being at my wit's end because I could not uh, face, you know, staying there and enduring more of that abuse. So when I was 20 years old, I decided it was time for me to leave. And I chose Vermont because of what it looked like in my seventh grade geography books in school. And later, I started getting Vermont Life magazines. So I left Ohio on a night train bound for Port Kent, New York. And then my plan was to go across the lake, um, Lake Champlain to Burlington. Uh, that turned out to be more of an adventure than I thought. And, and then I arrive at the YWCA in Burlington, where I was going to be staying. And that ends the first book. The second book, Bonnet Strings, An Amish Woman's Ties to Two Worlds, actually picks up where the other one left off. Actually, I backtrack a little bit. The first chapter is recalling why I left 
uh, the, the Amish the first time. Then I am reveling in my newfound freedom in Burlington, Vermont, where I'm finding uh, new jobs, and I actually landed my my dream job, and that was a waitress at Pizza Hut. <laughs> and um, I also began dating, and um, happened to be a Yankee toy maker, and his name was David, um, and that came to an end on a Friday night when the Amish, uh, a van load of Amish came to my front door and expected me to go back with them. I did not resist. I followed them back. And that is the, that begins the, the second part of my, of my book. The first part is about being in Vermont. The second part is about being back in the Amish community and the third part is about finding my way back out again. Now, the events in Bonnet Strings and Why I Left the Amish all take place 30 to 35 years ago. So what was it uh, recently that enabled you uh, now to write your story? Well, it's funny. <laughs> I never stopped writing it. <laughs> oh, uh-huh. It's just that it took 17 years from the time I started writing for an audience till the time that my first book was published. And I realize now that that really uh, needed to happen, that the story and I both had to evolve to the point where it was ready for an audience. But once that first book uh, was out there, then I had already started, I guess, the second book. Um, and then I just continued that. And also there was a young woman who came and lived with us, um, for six months from 2012 to, uh, January of 2013. And she had just left her Amish community in, um, in a very, from a very strict, she had left a very strict Amish community. And it reminded me of, what it's like to leave the Amish and try to adapt to the outside world, to the mainstream culture. And it really took me back, and it reminded me in vivid details of what that was like. So that helped me to recall some of the memories that had not previously been written down. You know, the Amish uh, heighten our curiosity, uh, the buggies, the clothes, the uh, low or small carbon footprint, um, the idyllic, peaceful, simple life. Uh, you show us, of course, that uh, their lives, uh, your lives are as complex and as conflicted as any other. And you've opened up a, a door into the Amish culture. But, but you wrote in Bonnet Strings that Amish communities differ among themselves in significant ways. And so I'll, I'll just put the question this way. Uh, what have you learned uh, about the Amish as you have reflected on your own life? I've learned a great deal about the Amish. First of all, when I left the Amish back in uh, 1980 for the second time, I knew that there were differences in dress and the way the women wear, wore their coverings, and I knew that there were stricter communities in some places than ours, and there were more liberal ones. I knew all that, but I really did not know the extent of the d diversity 
until I began studying them. Um, and I studied under Donald um, Craybill in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania, back in 2006. That is, I think, when I first realized just how much diversity there is. Now, granted, there is a lot more diversity now than there was back when I left, because the, the numbers of communities has grown, uh, as has the Amish population. Um, in Ohio, or in Geauga County, Ohio, when I left the Amish in 1980, there were somewhere between 33 and 35 church districts at that time, and now there are over 100. Hmm. Um, out of those, and, and besides those, there have been quite a few Amish communities um, that have started out of, you know, from the Geauga County community. So, um, and I know of at least three or four of those, and there might even be more than that. So that gives you some idea of how much the Amish are diversifying as they grow, because new communities get started, and each one of those communities has to, has to decide for themselves what their ordinary is going to be. Are they going to allow uh, propane tanks outside their houses? Are they going to allow uh, power lawnmowers? How are the women going to dress? What are the rules around uh, young people and their dating? Uh, you know, there's all different kinds of rules that they have to uh, come up with for their own ordinary, uh, and then they have to uh, hold, you know, everybody has to hold to those. And the modern world, of course, I mean, since uh, you wrote in 1980, has changed dramatically. I mean, the internet itself. And I, I often wonder how much has the Amish community had to adapt to those kinds of changes? Well, some of them are forced to because the young people will sneak uh, a cell phone. And if you have mm -hmm. a smartphone, you pretty much have a computer. Um, and so apparently there are quite a few uh, communities that are dealing with young people having these things on the slide. Some Amish communities, the more liberal ones are the ones that are dealing with uh, businesses, small businesses, are allowing computers to a certain extent. Some uh, communities uh, allow a computer, but they're not allowed to connect to the Internet. So... Uh, there are definitely encroachments on the Amish community with our, our modern technologies. Because like anyone else, the Amish, a lot of the Amish do want freedom, and especially the young people who are so-called sowing their wild oats. They will take, uh, they will have these devices, like such as uh, smartphones, on the sly. And this this does cause a lot of a lot of problems. Uh, there are also Amish communities that do allow cell phones if you have a business, like for instance, my home community. the The farming families are not allowed to have cell phones, but those who are in the trades, such as carpenters and stonemasons and people who have interfaces with the outside world they tend to be allowed to have cell phones. Uh, so it really depends. They kind of bend the rules for some people and not others. 
Um, also, the other thing that has become more common is for uh, families to have a, a, a landline, but out in the barn, not in the house. So the, the rules do vary. That has changed. That particular one has changed since I left. So there are definitely, yes, the technology is changing the, the communities in some ways. So the communities have to learn how to adapt to this change. And, and so that's my, I guess my larger question is, is what is the guiding principle of, if there is one, of, of Amish communities? Because I would imagine that a great uh, challenge would be young people leaving the Amish and, and, and the Amish finding their sense of community integrity. Uh, do you get my question is, how, how, what is it that kind of keeps the communities together? Well, you know, that's actually a question that uh, scholars of Amish culture have been debating for, for quite some time. And having been Amish myself, I would say that it's the Amish mindset. Mm -hmm. And by the Amish mindset, I mean there are certain things that are just a given when you're growing up in the culture that are hard to explain. Uh, it's almost as if there's a way of thinking and being that is hard to describe. For instance, when we grow up, when we're growing up in that culture, we realize that we're different from everyone else out in the world. We know that from our dress, from our mode of transportation, from our uh, you know, the, the family ties and all of these other things. And we know we're different. And we're taught from the time we can understand the concept that because God had us be born into the Amish culture, that God meant us to stay Amish. And if we did not, then all hope of our salvation would be lost. That is a pretty strong connection to the community. In addition to, to that belief, you are surrounded with your relatives, your extended family, all these people who have known you since birth. And that connection will be lost if you leave. So the Amish mindset is about conforming to the group, becoming part of the community. What's most important in an Amish community is that you become part of that group. You fit into the community and contribute to the community in ways that helps perpetuate that way of life and that community. In, uh, in the outside world, the most important entity is the individual. It's almost the opposite of what the Amish are. It's the community, then the family, then the individual. In our culture, it's the individual, the family, and then the community. And so there is a, there is a way of thinking and being in the Amish culture that helps perpetuate that way of life. Some Amish, like myself, have a hard time fitting into that. And so it is, it is those of us who struggle with that who have to eventually decide 
Are we staying or leaving? If you're just joining us on Religion for Life, my guest is Saloma Miller-Furlong. She's the author of Bonnet Strings, An Amish Woman's Ties to Two Worlds, and Why I Left the Amish. And on the cover of Why I Left the Amish is a photo of you as a little girl. Uh, you included that photo in your second book as well. It's, it's a happy little face with a big toothless grin. Um, and that photo really kind of captures your struggle in a sense. What is the meaning of that photo? Well, the way it came about was when I was in second grade. On picture day, the morning of picture day, my mother said, now, if they make you take the class picture, that's okay. Wink, wink. And <laughs> so I went off to school with the intention of saying, I can, I can take a picture. Well, it turns out that the teacher, when it came time to go down to the gym to have our pictures taken, she said, now, Saloma, I know you're not allowed to take, have your picture taken, so you can just stay in the classroom. And I popped up out of my seat and I said, oh, but my mother said that I can have, my class, uh, that I can have the class picture taken. And she didn't say anything. I got in line with the other children and went down to the gym. And when it was time to sit up on that stool and smile into the camera and the lights, I did it. And years later, I then went to the school and had completely forgotten about this until I saw the picture. And I asked, are there any pictures of those of us who were students here? And they sent me to uh, Burton where they were keeping the records. And there in the corner of the rec school record was this little one by one and a half inch photo. And I asked, may I please borrow that photo? It's the only one I have of me as a child. And that's when the memory came back of how that, of how that picture came about. But that picture just really captures that whole independent spirit. I mean, it, it kind of shows, uh, and I think you mentioned in the book, that's kind of that kind of pictures why you didn't fit in. Yes, and also the other thing is, I was the only Amish child in my class at that time because when I started school, there was not an Amish school near us, so um, we had to go to public school. And I was the only Amish child in my class for kindergarten, first grade, second grade. And then I went to the Amish school for third grade and back to the public school for fourth grade. And for all of those uh, years in, in public school, I was the only Amish child in my class. And it was kind of easy. It was rather easy for me to just kind of become one of them. Uh, have, have you ever answered the question uh, satisfactorily for yourself as, as to why you left the Amish? I mean, you your independent spirit, um, the abuse that you mentioned in your family, and of course, David and his pull on you from the outside. But I wonder if any of those factors of lo alone might not have been enough, but it, uh, perhaps a perfect storm of those three and maybe others. Um, yes, it was all of those put together. But, you know, there's another one. And, you know, I constantly am asked the question, if you had grown up in a well-adjusted Amish family, would you have left? Mm -hmm. And I don't think I can really definitively answer that question because I always say I would have had to have been born without that feisty, adventurous, inquisitive nature that I was born with. And the other thing that I know that would have happened is that I would have still wanted to go beyond the eighth grade with my education. Even those who are well-adjusted, 
boys or girls are not allowed to go beyond the eighth grade. That alone may have been enough for me to want to leave. Are you unusual in that, in, in your leaving? I mean, how many young people end up leaving the Amish? Well, according to Donald Craybill's figures, um, the Amish have somewhere between an 85 and a 90% retention rate. So that, that's now. Mm. I don't know what that retention rate was back when I left. I think it is more common to leave now, but it also could just be because of the sheer numbers. Um, you know, the, the more Amish there are, if you keep that 15, 10 to 15%, more people are going to be leaving in the future. So really it's amazing how many people, they, uh, how many people do decide to stay Amish. And you have, among the Amish, you have all different uh, stripes. Those who have questioned and decided to stay, those who have never questioned, those who have questioned, but they're too afraid to leave. After you've left, and of course you're, you've married and, and you have children of your own, uh, are you connected at all with your Amish family? Do your children know relatives there? Or is there a... my, my two, our two sons, uh, Paul and Tim, are now 30 and 27. And we were connected very much to um, the community or to my parents until they died. My father died in 2004, and then a year later, my mother died in 2005. Um, and now um, my connections to my community are definitely waning because um, that was actually the reason why we would go back to visit. Um, and also, of the six siblings, who the, uh, of my six siblings, only my two brothers stayed. The five women all left the community. So there is not as much of a reason to go back as there, as there was when my mother and father were still here. As far as our sons go, they, when they were school children, they sure liked to stay home or stay with their friends rather than go with David and me to Ohio for our yearly visits. And then when Paul was about 11 and Tim was 8, I said, this time you are going with us. I said, you are now old enough to remember this, and you, know, you need to know who your people are. And that is, uh, they did go, and uh, after that, each of them did a, a genealogy project and interviewed my mother by letter. Uh, and they both really enjoyed that project and got A's on it. So hmm. um, they are, they're very aware of their heritage, but there is not a connection in the way that one would hope. Saloma Furlong, my guest, author of Bonnet Strings, An Amish Woman's Ties to Two Worlds. And this book really is a love story. And, and David, who waits in the wings, in a sense, for a couple of years. Tell me about the significance of, of David in, and, and your story of, of leaving the Amish. Yes, David adds a perspective to the book that I could not have given myself. Uh, for instance, when I was returning to the Amish, I was saying goodbye to David, and he claims that the difference between my countenance from the night before was between night and day, that I had no light in my eyes and no feeling in my voice. And that is a perspective that I could not have given myself. So, and he also was there when 
uh, he came when he came to visit me in Ohio, and he had a desire to actually join the Amish. See, this is the funny thing. I think that David would have been a better Amish person than I was. <laughs> and um, so he was actually willing to join the Amish so that his, his and my relationship could continue. And these are, the, these are things that I uh, myself could not have said in the book. And when we do presentations together in front of people, people love his perspective because um, – he, again, brings something that I couldn't to that story. Saloma Furlong, my guest on Religion for Life. She's the author of Bonnet Strings, An Amish Woman's Ties to Two Worlds, and Why I Left the Amish. I, I have a final question for you. As a minister, I, I officiate at weddings and counsel with couples preparing for marriage, and one of the exercises uh, that I do is uh, have the, invite them to consider their family of origin. They each draw a map of their house and share what, what it was like growing up, and then I ask them to list three things that they would like to keep from their family of origin and bring to their new family, and three things they'd like to leave behind, that is, not repeat in their new family. And and I'll put this question to you this way. Uh, what are three things that you have kept, not only from your family, but from your culture of origin, the Amish, and what are three things that uh, you've left behind in your new life? Wow, those are great questions. Um, I would say that in uh, the, the things that I have retained um, that I really value are the hardworking nature of, of the, the culture, the rootedness. Um, I also really like the homespun arts that I, a lot of which I learned from my mother and some of the other women in the community. And the third thing is that I really like community and the feeling of doing things together. That I had to leave behind pretty much because that's not something you can bring with you when you leave the community. Mm -hmm. The Amish always claimed you, have, you cannot have it both ways. You either have to, uh, be, you're either Amish or you're not. And I used to think, well, I've brought the best of, of the Amish culture with me and I don't have to put up with the restrictions. So I really have the best of both worlds. But I've really come around to recognizing that the Amish have a point. You cannot have it both ways. You either, either have a strong community, commitment to community, or you have a strong commitment to the self. And uh, it's, it's really, uh, in my opinion, impossible to have both. As far as the things that I wanted to leave behind, uh, the punitive parts of the religion. I did not want my boys to have to uh, put up with that and the guilt that goes with that. I wanted to leave that behind. Mm -hmm. um, I also, of course, wanted to leave the abusive part behind. Um, and I had to go through some intensive therapy uh, to make sure that I did not bring uh, that punitive punishment type uh, way of parenting with my boys. And so I actually got to the point where I realized that I cannot spank my children because the anger would come through. And I knew that that was not good for them and it was not good for me. 
Saloma Miller-Furlong has been my guest on Religion for Life, author of the just-released Bonnet Strings, an Amish woman's ties to two worlds. You can find more information about her at her website, salomafurlong.com. Thank you so much for your story and for spending time uh, with us today on Religion for Life. Thank you. It has been my pleasure. We are the youth of the First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. You have been listening to Religion for Life. Your host is John Shook. He's our minister. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. Come visit us. You can find more information about this program and links to podcasts at religionforlife.com. Follow Religion for Life on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Listen to us on iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETSFM, Johnson City, Tennessee, and WEHCFM, Emory, Virginia. Be well!